This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. In today's video on Front Row Rugby, I have Springbok legend and 2007 World Cup winner JP Peterson with me. JP, welcome. Thank you, Peter. Uh, thanks for inviting me to the show. Uh, yeah, glad to be on the show. Just before we get going, we have a trivia question. Let's have a look at what that is today. Who were the Springboks opponents in a warm-up test before the 1995 Rugby World Cup? If you know the answer to that, you can put it in the comment section below. We'll also find out if JP knows the answer to that question, but that will come at the end of our conversation. JP, let's get going. Firstly, your parents deliberately gave you the initials JPR. How much of a rugby-loving family did you come from? I won't say uh, a family. I said my dad. My dad's a, a crazy rugby uh, fan, and I think my mom wasn't too happy with the name. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So my dad gave me the name of JPR Williams, and uh, that was my dad's idol in his year when he was uh, watching rugby. So that's where I got a name from. All right. Now, you made your debut for the Springboks in 2006. It was actually quite a difficult time. There had been quite a few heavy defeats as well. Talk to me about your excitement, but also, at the same time, the atmosphere that was in the Bok camp. I made my debut in 2006 um, at Ellis Bok against Australia. Um, I actually had fullbacks. So, yeah, so for me, it was a whole experience. Um, as a youngster, I was um, 19, 20 years old and playing little with my heroes. Um, so... For me, it was quite exciting um, to play at Ellis Park, and I think we desperately needed that win. Uh, like you just said, we had a bit of a difficult season at 2006 Tri-Nations, and uh, desperately we needed it. And um, yeah, obviously the, the magic of Ellis Park um, gave us that extra boost to, uh, to for us to get that win. Now, it didn't take long for you to establish you, yourself in the side and become a key member of the Springbok team, off to the World Cup in 2007. And then there was that crucial pool match against England, 36-0. South Africa won that match. Possibly one of the most complete performances we've ever seen from a Springbok team. How do you remember that match? I was quite a, um, like a nervous, nerve-wracking build-up. I think that's my... My first start, like my second start in a, in a World Cup. And um, yeah, so it's obviously it was defending champions. Um, not from England, uh, 2003. So obviously they talk about it. Uh, they're not just, uh, oh, they're still the defending champions. And, um, and we, the whole build-up was that uh, from 2004 when Jake took over, that this is going to be our match that's going to that's gonna tell us if we're going to win the World Cup or not. And I think everybody bought into it. And I think we... Like you said, I think it was close to a perfect performance we could have done as a, as a Springbok team. And then into the quarterfinals against Fiji, we won that and then we were in the semifinals. But crucially, the Wallabies and the All Blacks were knocked out of the tournament in those quarterfinals. That immediately put a lot of pressure on South Africa now almost as the outright favourites, especially because of that pool stage win over England. How much pressure did you guys experience? I think pressure is part of the game. Um, I think uh, it was there. I think the whole build-up. I think, um, Coming into the final, I think everybody in South Africa uh, was texting us and sending us a message and um, envelopes are coming in from people sending us letters and wishing us well. The president came, the minister of sport came. So the whole week was a bit of crazy build-up. But the nice thing about that group was we had, a, we had such a belief in that group um, and we had such a composer and we, got a, and we all got a, a goal in our mind and we want to win the World Cup. And I think there was nothing that could have distracted us because if you look before, I can, if I, I can see it like yesterday, sitting in the change room, 
before we run out to the field, you can just look in the guy's eyes that everybody's locked in. And uh, and there was one one mission and one goal only just to win the World Cup. And I can even say before we run out to the field, we're going to win the World Cup. And when we look back at that match, that final against England, to be quite frank, South Africa looked in complete control of that match pretty much for the full 80 minutes. But how nervous were you during that match? Yeah, obviously there's uh, nerves that comes with as a, as a 21-year-old. Uh, <laughs> Uh, playing your biggest, uh, you play your biggest game at the biggest states. Um, I think France was twenty, one years younger, so the two of us was there. Um, but at the end of the day, we just told ourselves it's just, it's just another game, um, and, I, and I think we just need to go out there and be be ourselves and uh, and help the team. But obviously, the emotions was running high. Singing your national anthem, uh, if we can look back, a couple of tears came out of my eyes and. Uh, it was special. It was a very special moment. And um, but when the, when the whistle starts to kick off, you you go into that rugby mode of it's us against them. Let's get the job done. And what does it feel like when the final whistle blows and you are a world champion? Yeah, the one thing I can tell you, I think the whole twenty three team can say it was we were just relief. I think it was just pressure. It's like a big fritz is falling off your off your back. I'm just relieved that we did the job because. It, the whole build-up is that amount, like you said, we were favourites and everything. So that was just more, my first reaction was relief. And obviously when you go into the change room and you, you see actually the trophy, all the trophy, and you can see the joy uh, in everybody's face because we sacrificed a lot for that, uh, for that trophy. And, uh, and the first time you see Jake smile, and, uh, that's a good thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine. Um, speaking of smiles, after the World Cup victory, you guys came home and then there was a ticker tape parade almost in every city of the country. Uh, how special was that? That was, I was unreal. Huh? I think uh, the eye opener for me was when I arrived, when we arrived in Orotombo for the first time from overseas and the whole airport came to a standstill. And just, there were just millions of people. I never see so many people in my life in the airport. They were just cheering and shouting for you. And obviously as a 19 year old, 20 year old, you're like, why are they like, first time they're shouting your name, JP. And I was like, really? I'm actually, I'm, you know, you're like, no, that's not me. And the people shouting your name and I just, it's mind blowing. Uh, my heart, you know, your heart melts and it just, and it just means so much to them that what we achieve, obviously in the, in the foreign country, and you can just see the support if it was just amazing it was in South Africa we played that final and um, just to see the joy and people coming out and to cheer us ah, it was unreal I, I can I feel like it was, it was yesterday it gave me goosebumps just talking about it. that's quite incredible so Jake White as we know was replaced by Peter de Villiers that was 2008 then we moved into 09 and the British and Irish Lions were in South Africa for a three test match series the Springboks won the series as we know but that second test at Loftus how brutal was that encounter? Yeah, it was it was uh, one of the one of the, phys the most physical test mates. Um I think you can ask the British lads that they experienced, and I think it was just normal for us as South Africans <laughs> because we love the physicality and uh, and yeah, that's just us. That's how we live for. And uh, I think we just uh, we were quite up we were quite upset at Springboks for the first test. We let them in to come back um, and kind of think they can win. And, um, and obviously they got a bit of cockiness of talking it up on the second test that they can beat us in South Africa. And uh, I think that's the most disrespectful thing you can say to a South African. You're going to beat him in his own home. 
And um, I think we just told ourselves, and each and everybody told ourselves, we're going to level it up with our physicality, and we're going to take them to a dark place where they've never been. And uh, and you can see there are a lot of bodies went off the field, and uh, yeah, and it was just how we that's how we uh, how we deal as Africans. We don't we don't take a step back, and uh, when our backs against the wall, and we come out firing. And uh, it was a beautiful test match, and thanks to Mone for that beautiful kick uh, to just to to seal the deal. That wasn't a bad way to make a debut either for uh, for Mornay Stain. Uh, and then after beating the Lions, it was uh, Tri-Nations time. Uh, that's obviously before the Rugby Championship was introduced. And the Springboks dominated that competition as well, beating the All Blacks uh, three out of three, the Wallabies two out of three, winning the competition. 2009 was just an amazing uh, season for the Springboks, wasn't it? If you look back from 2004 to 2004, 2007, I think 2009, I think it's... Everybody was on at the best as a as a rugby player, and uh, if you look back at all the rugby teams, and I think 2009 is one of these best Springboks players that I and I, in a team that I've been to, and I think it will go up there as one of the greatest Springboks team that uh, that played the game. So if you look from one till till even to the 28, they was not not even playing. They were they were, they were close to being the best in the position in the world. So um, that's a special group of players, and. Um, that uh, we peaked at the right time in 2009. Um, just unfortunately, we couldn't kick on to to win the 2011. But that 2009 was a special group of people. And you yourself were actually in quite a special position in that at that moment you were a World Cup winner. You had beaten the British and Irish Lions, and you had won the Tri Nations. Talk to me about the the feelings of winning those three different competitions. The feeling is obviously um, it's just. It's uh, it's be it's something you dream of as, as, as a rugby player, and uh, for me to to get it in a such a young age uh, at 21 to win the rugby world cup and then straight after that you win the British Lions and then the Tri Nations and it just gives you that that hunger. I think you want more. You want to win more. It means so much to the to the group, and uh, and you it just shows you that uh, the sacrifice we give to each other and that how much it means to each other. And um, that's why we. That, I think that's why we won 2007 British Lions and uh, Tri Nations because we wanted more and we wanted one more. And um, like I said, the group was special. Um, there was no. We didn't. We didn't satisfy. We were never satisfied with average. We always wanted to be better and we wanted to be the best in the position. And I think it was the ultimate hunger that that we have in the team. And if one guy is off, the next guy will always spark the fire to to help the team. And then after that, 2010 was a little bit of a tougher year for the Springboks it's fair to say but whatever moving on to 2011 Rugby World Cup how confident were you that you guys could defend your title after the 2010 competition you you, you got a bit of doubts um, and uh, a lot of injuries happened from 2010 to 2011 so we were we were hit uh, hard with a couple of injuries um, but obviously we the build up to the World Cup we were a bit slow out of the blocks um, and then getting into the World Cup we just beat Wales still finding our feet um, and then we got a nice game against Fiji and then everything starts flowing and the control and the old the old team starts flowing again and I just feel like uh, yeah the Australian game but I think we I think we played our best rugby but uh, if you look back we played our best rugby we just the scoreboard wasn't in our favor at the end of the day and uh, if we beat Australia in the quarterfinals I think nobody could have stayed in our way because we just peak at the right time 
And just unfortunately, uh, that's how rugby works sometimes. Uh, you play your best rugby, but the scoreboard maybe is against you sometimes. I'm going to come back to that Australia match in a moment because there's something else that I want to ask you about the pool stage uh, when we had Samoa. And I think it was the last game in the pool stage that we played Samoa. And the score was something like 13-5. Really, really close in terms of the scoreboard. Um, wh- what actually happened in that match? I think we got a bit... We got distracted um, as, a, as a group. Uh, we got... Distraction means you like you get off the ball stuff. Uh, got a bit of fight, a bit of uh, back chat, and uh, yellow cards start flowing, red cards start flowing. So yeah, so just a little bit of distraction. But uh, I think we was we were the whole the whole game. We were under control. Um, obviously, Samoa it felt like a home game because it's in. I think it was in Auckland, and um, the whole Samoan crowd was there. So I think they played their best game of their lives against us. But. We were never, never felt like we we're going to lose the game. Never felt like we were in trouble. It's just small things. I think the distraction, I can say, is one of them. That's why we couldn't finish opportunities. And um, and uh, it happens sometimes. You just lose a bit of concentration. But the control to win the game was always there. So it's part of the game. Absolutely. So that quarterfinal against Australia, uh, I mean, I, I remember watching it and I, I know that I'm being somewhat hyperbolic now, but it felt like 80% of the match was played in the Australian 22. And I know that people now look back and at the time blame the referee. Just how did you experience it? What, what was it? What did it feel like for you guys? For me, I would feel like on a field it was like, um, it's always going to happen. Um, we were in control. We were playing in the right areas. We, we did everything right. Um, I think if you look, if you're going to be critical as a as a as a as a player, we we couldn't uh, we couldn't uh, capitalize on opportunities. Uh, I think we had a lot of opportunities to to score tries, uh, to put points on the scoreboard, and we did not. Um, and unfortunately, but it always felt like as a team that uh, we had that positive feeling. It's going to happen. We're going to score now. We're going to score now. And then obviously Patrick Lambie scored. Um, Felt like that's the game. Patrick Lamy scored, and next thing is a forward pass. So we always one step forward, two steps back the whole time in the game. So the mindset was there to go out and win it. Um, like I say, we just sometimes in rugby you play your best rugby, but sometimes it doesn't work for you on the day. JP, I have a theory that I want to share with you, and uh, you can tell me what you think. So we know that the All Blacks at that time they had. Um, pretty much built up a reputation for not winning the World Cup, right? Dominating in between, but then they lose in the semis or the quarters or whatever it may be. And I have a theory that had we beaten the Wallabies that day, obviously we would have played New Zealand in the semifinals, I think the New Zealanders would have actually panicked Cracked under the pressure, South Africa would have won that semi-final and gone on to win the World Cup in 2011 as well. I'd like to hear what you think about my little theory. I agree with you, Thierry. Um, it's just I can talk personally because we had that feeling and a belief in the team that we we can we can beat anyone in this, in this competition, and um, we didn't we beat New Zealand already in South Africa in uh, in PE, so we have that already that that uh, mental switch that we can beat them. Uh, and obviously we defending champions, and obviously they will panic because they're home ground and uh, they they have to play for their people, so they're going to be under a huge pressure. And unfortunately, we couldn't we couldn't uh, play that game. But if if we rewind and replay it back now, and I think we'll we'll definitely would have beaten the Blacks uh, in a, in Auckland. 
Would have been a great game as well. Okay, JP, so that was the end of the Peter de Villiers era. Heineke Mayer then came in and uh, replaced him as Springbok coach, making your way through to 2015. You were in the side most of the time uh, under uh, Heineke Mayer, but now it's the 2015 Rugby World Cup, and I know you know what I'm going to ask you. What happened in that opening game against Japan? Um, yeah, no, it's... <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it happens, huh? Um yeah, I can't. I can't remember. I can't like put a finger to it. Like, what went wrong? And how we did we did we prepare well? Did we train well the week? What um, everything went right during the game? Uh, oh, like I said, we we couldn't finish opportunities. Um, Japan capitalized on our mistakes, and obviously they did. They were they were brave. I have to say, for Japan, were brave. Um, to go for the win. Uh, they could have gone for the draw. I remember they had a penalty in front of the polls. They could have gone for the draw, but they were brave. And they were they were brave and they they, they, they took the opportunity. Um, they, they smelled some blood in the water and yeah, and they took the opportunity. They swore in a corner and obviously my face was everywhere in the corner in Japan for for, for the try, trying to save, try saving tackle, but they scored. Uh, unfortunately, it happens. It was, um, it still hurts today. Uh, still gives me nightmares um, when you see it on TV and uh, everywhere on social media. You see it, and uh, yeah, something I can never, never erase in my head. Uh, but it happens in, in rugby. Yeah, sure. You know these things happen. Um, JB, we ended up. We actually recovered quite nicely, didn't we? Ended up finishing third at uh, the World Cup, which is certainly not a disgrace. And then Alistair Kutsia replaced Heineke Man. You actually stayed in the team uh, under Kutsia uh, for a short while. So having played under Jake White, Peter de Villiers, Heineke Man, and Alistair Kutsia, what's your opinion on the differences between those coaches? Yeah, obviously, um, if I look at starting with Jake. Um, I think he's a mastermind of, uh, of knowledge of the game. Um, he's been always not one, but two steps ahead of the game. Um, and um, yeah, I think he's just, um, um, he's, the way he sees the game is different to some coaches sees the game. And the way he sees um, talent and, 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 and potential to become Springboks is different. And um, yeah, um, like I said, he's one of the, the great coaches that will go down in the game. And then obviously with Peter, um, it was just the opposite to what Jake is. Uh, very, uh, Jake was very coach-driven and Peter was the opposite. He's more a manager and uh, let the players uh, run the show because we had a very experienced group of players. And I think he managed it very well. He took the pressure away from the players. You can see in the media. And we never felt like pressure. We never felt like uh, under threat with the media coming at us because the media was always at Peter's case of um, attacking him. And because he said... The most important is you want the players to be happy and happy players will play well on the field. And I think we did it for him as, 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 a, as a coach. And uh, yeah, we're still today very grateful because he's a great man, uh, Peter De Villiers, uh, for what he did to us. And then going to Heineke, um, yeah, obviously Heineke is um, with, uh, with the Bulls background, um, obviously um, very, also very coach-driven, um, very good man. Um, and he always tells stories uh, to get uh, just to foster imagination how to get as a, a cohesion as a group. And it's a big belief in cohesion. And yeah, I really much enjoy my time on Heineke. And obviously, the, his, his coaching staff too, that was a, it was a good experience. And then with Alistair, I think it's just, I was just there with one year with Alistair, um, uh, 2016. Um, unfortunately, uh, by then, um, 
I wish I could have helped him more, uh, but my body was uh, on his last legs. Uh, just trying to help Alistair, and unfortunately, he didn't have enough. I think it did, Alistair didn't have enough time and enough uh, backing um, to 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 help him to uh, to be himself as uh, as what Alistair Kutia could have been. And you can see his record at the Stormers, how good he's been, he's been coaching at the Stormers. And uh, just unfortunately, his career cut short. But I think everything happens for a reason um, in rugby. And that's why the, the opportunity of Rassi and the, the team went forward. So that's how rugby works. Sometimes it's it's all about timing in the, the right place. And, uh, and the timing was probably not right for Alistair, but the right timing was for Rassi. And um, yeah, fortunate enough to play under four coaches. and. Um, yeah, to play on the Springbok career for that long. Quite blessed to be that. JP, I ask this of all my guests. Could you share with us a funny or memorable moment from your time with the Springboks? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, funny moment is probably, I think, my first time when I arrived at the Springboks. Um, that's my funniest moment. I think um, I think I love somebody hide my boarding pass. I uh, were going to Australia or something. Uh, now, I was thinking I was 19. Yeah, uh, somebody hired my boarding pass, just playing a prank on me. I literally was panicked. I was sweating. I was asking everybody. I was running around in the airport. And I think everybody was fair play to them. The whole day, they smiled and they laughed for a very long time. And um, fair play to them. And yeah, I panicked for a very long time. And um, yeah, that, I think that was the funniest moment. But there's always off the field moments funny that, um, that I can't share. But there were some good times too. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I think that was one of the funniest moments I could share. Oh, that's actually pretty funny. Uh, okay, so let's have a look at our trivia question then. Who were the Springboks opponents in a warm-up test before the 1995 Rugby World Cup? JP, do you know the answer? 1995 World Cup warm-up. Were they playing in South Africa? It was in South Africa. It was at Ellis Park. Ellis Park. Hey, oh, it was the international team. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Reading a blank. Um, I'll have a guess. I'll think it would be Namibia. Ooh, no, not quite. But they wear the same colours, though. Uh, in those days, they were still called Western Samoa. Oh, Western Samoa. The Springboks put something like 60 points past them in their test match. Uh, probably about, I think it was about a month or three weeks before uh, the 95 Rugby World Cup. Um, JP, on that note, uh, that brings an end to our conversation. I want to say thank you very much for being available. It was lovely having you on. And I hope we can have you on again in the future. Thanks so much, uh, Peter, for your time. And I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Last time on Front Row Rugby, we had Tim Glulani with us. You can go and have a look at that video. It's appearing on your screen right now. Next time, Ruan Pina will be our guest. This Front Row Rugby episode appeared originally on YouTube. If you enjoyed this content, please consider subscribing and sharing with your friends. See you next time.